Hello, welcome to the Astor Economic Week Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astor Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and partner, Rob Stein. Rob, hello. Hey, John. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Happy Jobs Day. Before we jump into the numbers, I just want to go over my view of the economy. In a nutshell, I see the economy uh, still growing at a pretty solid pace. Obviously, inflation is a concern. There are only slight signs of it moderating and the Fed's tightening has yet to bite on growth. Would you agree with that overall assessment, Rob? Yeah, I have. Uh, People might have a slight difference because of the stock market performance in the last few days or the last few weeks. 5% moves in in a day or two kind of make people thinking that the Fed's tightening might be starting to weaken the economy. But we added 400,000 plus jobs today and a number that's consistent. So it'd be hard to argue that this is anything more than stock market tantrums. Yeah, we'll get into that with the Fed. We can talk about the Fed a little bit, probably. Yeah. So let's run through the numbers. Change in non-farm payrolls up 428,000, about the same as last month, a little bit unexpected. Unemployment rate, 3.6, unchanged. Economists were hoping it would drop a tick. Hourly earnings up 3%, three-tenths of 1% month on month. That's a little bit slower pace of growth and not keeping up with inflation. But overall, quite a strong number. One thing that's odd is that the revisions were negative, only slightly down 40,000 last two months, but they've been strongly positive in the order of a plus 100,000 for the last six months or so. So it's not impossible that that's a, a sign of a sign of maybe weakness coming. But overall, you know, we've added half a million jobs on average the last three yeah. months. Unemployment rate's already three and a half percent. That's pretty good, right? Like, what are you hoping for? That's awesome. I, I agree. And when the numbers get that big, revisions aren't shocking. So yeah, again, it still could just be counting. We'll see if that's the case a month or two. In yep. the but uh, I'll tell you, John, what's interesting is some of the sectors some of the manufacturing sectors, some of the sectors that can be directed to spending have seemed to not be as robust as they were. Maybe all the spending from the stimulus money is sort of peaking and jobs in those areas, it's kind of shifting back to services. So the service people who were semi on strike seem to be coming back, but that could be telling. Well, I mean, yeah, so job growth was pretty strong in leisure and hospitality again, still down 8.5% from the February 2020 jobs level. So there's still room to grow there, as I think people might notice from anecdotal experience. Why is that? Well, wages in the uh, leisure hospitality are up 12.5% year on year, right? So that is more than keeping up with inflation. But that's down from its peak of at the end of 2021, we were seeing year-over-year earnings increases of 16% on average. So I think that when people talk about something about the great resignation, right? Is what they call that, but it's, it's not. People just want more money, right? Like that, it's going to lure people back into the market 100 times out of 100. I agree with that. Plus there's a lot of single member LLCs that have been formed too. So I think a lot of people are working differently as well. Yeah, though, you know, unfortunately they don't have a long history of asking people about working from home. They've done it since the recession, but the question is worded a little odd because it says like, are you working from home due to the pandemic? So like, I think I'm working from home, right? But that's not due to the pandemic really, right? Like, it's just like, we've made some changes in, in how we do things. 
Well, no, the catalyst was the pandemic, but yes, it's no longer. The catalyst was the pandemic, but like, I'm not, I'm not working at home because it's not allowed to anymore. So that's mainly the employment number. I'm going to say that the, one of the things I watch very closely is the prime aged employment population ratio. So the number of people 25 to 54 who have a job and that is those whippersnappers, those whippersnappers. I'm still in, I'm still in the, I'm still in that group. Bro. You, you whippersnappers. For another three months, for another three months. <laughs> <laughs> so that number, cause that's sort of a pure measure of a labor market slack or tightness. That number is slightly below its January, 2021 peak, which is also the 2007 peak. So we're right about 80 and we're hoping to get up to 81%, which is a lot of people, right? But like, but we're not back down at 75 like we were. So overall, a very strong number. I think that employment is 90% of the story, right? Like people get more jobs and, and the economy's going to be fine. From that standpoint, we don't see signs of weakness yet. Like you do see if you're listening to corporate quarterly earnings, there's a number of companies which are showing declining earnings from China, specifically because of the disruptions to the, because of the COVID zero problems. So is that going to end up, and the PMIs in China are quite low. The purchase manager indices in China are quite low. They've been dropping precipitously. So is that a sign of things to come? Maybe, maybe, but they're not here yet. China's always often very, very hard to read. Yeah. Yeah. China's quite opaque. China's quite opaque. But, you know, the PMI numbers are one of those that are sort of better understood. You know, the other thing is that the price of a container from Shanghai to LA is dropping maybe a quarter off of its peak. It's still double what it was a couple of years ago, but more than double what it was a couple of years ago, but moderating. So I think that's the labor market overall. Labor market get. I don't know. I'm not even going to give it an A minus. I got to give it a straight A, right? Like, I don't know what we'd be hoping for that would be any better. Yeah, I'm going to give it an A minus or B plus. What's um, A minus? What, 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 what are you doing it for? Well, I hate the uh, it's so good it's bad, um, but <laughs> right? But also, I just think that I don't know that I would give it an A or an A plus since COVID numbers because we're going to be getting most of those jobs back and how we do it's always going to look like we're accelerating back to where we were, but it's sort of, you know, you lost 10, you gain 10, how you gain the 10. Yes. I'm giving it B plus cause it's, we're gaining it faster and more aggressively than I thought, but I'm not so sure I'm still going to give that the robust economy that continues to grow in the way that I'm used to during economic cycles. Just me. So the Fed was busy, but came out basically on expectations. Uh, they raised 50 basis points. The sell-off or the runoff of the balance sheet is starting a little bit more slowly, but is going to go a little bit harder when it gets up to speed. So that's probably a, a neutral. Some people are talking about the Fed raising 75 basis points. Like, we never thought that was going to be possibility and, and and Powell said no my expectation now is for the fed to raise raise 50 basis points the next meeting and probably 50 basis points the one after that that gets them pretty close to neutral at two percent 
by what's that by August and then probably bumping things up by by a quarter what do you think of the Fed the three quarters or the aggressive hikes was really never in I don't think in consideration I think when the Fed said in December that they were wrong with the transitory they're going to do whatever they can to kind of get back to neutral rates have been negative for a while I think neutral's farther away than people think I think there's the ability for the Fed to raise rates higher without hurting the economy than people think. It might slow it down or it might do these things to the stock market, but heading into a recession, I think it'll take a lot more. And they're behind the curve, so they've got room. Yeah, I mean, they're behind the curve, kind of, but like Powell said at his press conference, you know, their tools don't work on supply shocks, right? The only thing they can do to affect inflation is demand. And so I don't think that, honestly, I don't think that raising rates 200 basis points is going to change. I agree with you that they can't impact supply, just demand. But there's a lot of investment inflation, a lot of investment from the liquidity there that got into the system and created inflation through non-traditional supply and demand shortages. And it's that part of it that people believe is the inflation part, like housing prices, Supply and demand, of course, but I do think that rates had things to do with it. The demand coming from places where the demand typically wouldn't come from, I think that that part's gonna gonna subside. Yeah, but I mean to make that happen. So let's say neutral is someplace between like two percent to a half percent, something like that. That's what most people think. If you want to start, like, so we just talked about Asian hospitality workers getting fifteen percent raises. If you want to start, and they've got a much higher propensity to spend because they tend to be low income. So if you want to start cooling them off, like you got to start getting them out of work, right? Like, and that's not going to happen at 2%. That's going to happen at 6 7 8%. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, I mean, I think the Fed is going, honestly, like if I was on the Fed and I was voting, I'd be like, yeah, we got to raise rates because we've got to raise rates because there's central banks. We've got to like be scared of inflation. But Nothing's going to change until the supply chain changes. And so we'll just take credit for it when, you know, oil is back to $70 18 months from now. And in the meantime, raise rates to neutral pretty quickly and then start raising them higher by a quarter at a time. And, you know, the effects of the balance sheet, you know, Powell admitted are, are very, like no one knows what the balance sheet is going to do, right? They're going to start letting stuff run off, ending up probably taking off about $600 billion this year. 500, 600 billion. And like, that going to affect things much? Like, probably not, but like, who knows? Like, we don't know. So I got a question for you, Rob. Like, what do you think the terminal rate for Fed funds will be? So that's just, just to remind you, the terminal rate last hiking cycle was two and a half percent in the end of 2018. The one before that, it was five and a half percent at the end of 2007. What do you think? I'm going to be higher than the average, probably economists would predict. I would go close to that five and a half percent. I think we're going to be well over two and a half. I'm saying that from somebody who was there around the Fed during the last big inflation bubble, you and I have talked about why this one is different. And you're right. That one was a decade long. This is 18 months long. Very, very good point. But when you have the largest amount of stimulus and the largest inflation you've had since then, it wouldn't surprise me that you need to fight it with the largest rate movements and, and bond purchases are um, opposite. And I would think that this is going to go to the numbers that we're seeing inflation at right now, minus something. 
I'm going to say 5%. So you're sort of probably double, saying, probably double of what you're going to say. Yeah. I say three ish. I say three ish. What do you think the fed thinks? What do you think the dot plot says? I'm the, the dot plot is going to be much lower. I think the dot plot is going to be around 3%, right? No, even lower. The dot plot ten, central tendency. Well, actually so 3% covers it, right? So Central tendency for end of 2024 is 2.4 to 3.4%. So you're thinking core CPCE, let's say it's going to be 4.5% this year, but you still see that as 4.5% in 2023, 2024, right? And the Fed thinks it's going to come down calendar 2023 significantly back close to target. Is that you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that, that's what has to happen for your, for your prediction. Well, I think there's so, so right, right. And they're going to fight the inflation that we have right now. Like you said, they're going to take credit or supply is going to meet demand at different levels. But then I'm expecting another bout of inflation. So, you know, this transitory to me is more Fed transitory stops going up at the rate that it's been going up at. So that'll feel good. But I then think we're going to get another bout of, of inflation after that. You know, for a variety of reasons, when supply and demand try to catch up and meet the moving target, it'll be much harder than to just say, we're demanding 100 of these, we can only make 20 of them, let's make 80 more and catch up. I think by the time supply catches up, demand's going to move again, and they're going to get it wrong both sides. Right. I mean, so that could be sort of a classic inventory recession like we used to have, we used to talk about in the 90s, right? It's been a while since we had one of those, but because technology has changed so much, but certainly in the 50s, 60s, 70s, people would talk about inventory recessions where people just order too much stuff and then they stop ordering stuff and that sort of like induces manufacturing into a recession that induces everybody into recession. Like, Yeah, the whole boom bust cycle, which we've kind of- We've tamed a lot. I mean, being out of, being less manufacturing, well, one, technology, right? Like everyone's a lot close to their clients. So it's like harder for people to produce too many cars and also less reliant on manufacturing. So the Fed has raised rates a little bit, but in terms of reducing liquidity, like that's already had a big effect, right? And you can see that in the higher rates for everything, how much bond yields are up to where they peaked out last cycle, stocks are down, spreads, credit spreads are widening, the dollar is stronger, like all that stuff is reducing demand. Nothing huge, only one indicator, but like they're adding up to stuff, right? And so, and one of the things that has happened, obviously, that stocks are down, you know, say 15% from their peak. And we had some exciting market action this week. Any thoughts on the stock market, Rob? It's the Fed's moving it around. We talked about at the beginning of the year, it's trying to find out where rates equate with multiples and stock prices. Pretty aggressive move last year, the last 18 months. I just think it's the market trying to find out where fair value is, and it's doing it quick. You get program trading, you get a lot of newbies that entered the market over the last 18 months. So I just think it's an increase in volatility. A volatility increases when rates become uncertain. You and I talk about discount premium to futures to from the futures to the cash that's changed for the first time in a long time, which affects how speculators and hedgers perform uh, and the ability to borrow, to buy stocks isn't as easy as it was. And all those things are just making noise in the stock market, but 5% is 5%. <laughs> yeah. 
And so I guess I'm expecting sort of a volatile period to continue, but I guess we'll see. I mean, one thing which is supporting the market has got to be the record corporate profits, right? Corporate profits as a percentage of GDP are still at record highs and much higher than they were two or three years ago. And like, is that ever going to come in? Like, it seems like companies, which if they're making record profits as a percentage of GDP, you'd think they could absorb some of the inflation hit, but they don't seem to have to. Is that ever going to change and they have to reduce their profits and that could be a catalyst for a lower stock market. Probably, right? But look, at the end of the day, it's already a good decade and it's only 2022. Right. And we're still up, you know, a third from where we were two and a half years ago. So that's pretty good also. It was exciting getting there though. (laughs) So I think we will leave it there. And if this podcast leaves you thirsty for more of our economic analysis, you can check out the Aster website, asterim.com. That's IM for investment management. You can download the Aster research app or reach out to your Aster sales representative. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, John. Cheers. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asteriam.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Aster Investment Management LLC is a SEC registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change, they are not intended as investment recommendations.